Wilson steps up, throws, end zone, picked off. Murray back to throw, flushed out, rolling left in trouble, slips a tackle, got to launch it. He does, left side, into the end zone, jump ball, and it is. Is it caught? Is it caught? Oh, my goodness, it's caught. DeAndre Hopkins caught it. He caught it for a touchdown with one second left. I can't believe it. You've got to be joking me. Hopkins reaches Well, there you go. Two examples of two teams heading different directions. The Seahawks flailing, losing three of their last four. The Cardinals with all the momentum coming off that Hail Murray. Call it a Hail Mary if you prefer. As the Hawks and Cardinals with a critical game Thursday in Seattle. That is what's going to lead the way on the 206 Sports Pod with, of course, former Seahawk, former Cougar. Seahawks pre- and post-game host, radio, TV, and any other media outlet you might want to find. Michael Bumpus. Bump, how are you? I'm doing well. How about yourself? Good. Glad you could squeeze us in, as always. We appreciate it. Your busy schedule and the kids. And Bill Kruger back after a week off of making at least a million dollars. We we gave you that million-dollar exception last week, Bill. Always free to bail if it's for a good cause and no better cause than making money. So there you go. You're off the hook. Really appreciate it. you having me back in the club. <laughs> At least for this week. <laughs> okay. You're on the you're trial. on the hot you're on the hot yeah, seat. You're on a probation. trial. Exactly. Okay. So we're gonna we're gonna dive deep into the uh the Hawks and Cardinals in just a moment. Want to tell everybody else what we're gonna get into. Gonna talk a little uh, Pac-12 football with the dogs and the Cougs, baseball's Hall of Fame voters. Are they ready to elect a couple of alleged cheaters? Bonds and Clemens back on the ballot, and uh, we're going to connect with a former NBA scout, current college basketball analyst for Root Sports Northwest, Francis Williams, to give us a preview of some uh, local connections when it comes to Wednesday night's NBA draft. But we do start with the Seahawks, and Michael, as I mentioned, three losses in their last four games. Panic in the streets of Seattle. It's uh, pure chaos. Let me try to be a rare voice of reason. You tell me if I'm wrong. Once this okay. team gets healthy and they're not healthy, they're not fully healthy on offense. Uh, Chris Carson, most notably injured center. Uh, Posick as well. You go to defense. You got Shaq Griffin missing at one of your cornerback positions. Once they get healthy in a season in which there is really no home field advantage for the playoffs, it's going to be a bunch of neutral sites in essence with few or no fans involved, all the Seahawks need to do is get themselves in. They have time to get things right, progress on defense and the loss against the Rams. I am completely optimistic about this team. What do I have wrong? Well, you are, um, I, I wish people would take your perspective because a lot of 12s are hitting the panic button and they're ready to bail. They want to fire everybody. This defense doesn't have talent, this and that. And I don't think that's the case. Defense definitely has talent, but you're right. They need to get healthy. If you don't have your number ones out there, you can't expect this defense to perform better than what they have been or how they have been performing. But Russell has to play better. No one's really calling out Russell Wilson. I know he's the golden child, number three, positive attitude. But we have to be honest when really dissecting this team. The defense has to play better. And really, they've taken baby steps. They've gotten sacks the last couple of weeks. Or they no longer give up the most points in the league. I believe they're 28th in that category now instead of 32nd. They are getting better. But this defense has to duplicate what they did last week. And Russell has to take care of the football. I think if they get healthy, defense continues to take the baby steps. And Russell takes care of the football. 
they have a chance. They're six and three tied with two other teams in the best division in football. All you got to do is get in. You just get an invite to the party. Then you shoot your shot at the prettiest girl there and you might get lucky. That's <laughs> all they need to do. I wouldn't press the, press the panic button so far. You know, I think you're hundred percent right on, on Russell and that interception we heard off the top that scramble play against the Rams. He's got nothing but real estate ahead of him, and he throws the pick in the end zone. I thought that was one of the worst decisions in his career. And I think it speaks bill to the slump that he is in. And I want both of you to talk about being a professional athlete. It doesn't matter if you're a superstar. It doesn't matter if you're the last guy on the roster, you've been through slumps. Talk, Bill, about trying to work out of a slump. You were a major league pitcher. I know you hit those tough moments. How hard is it to fight off self-doubt? And again, we're talking about Russell Wilson, who's like the most eternal optimist in uh, human history. Yeah, the mental part of the game and playing with confidence is everything. It doesn't matter if you're the the, the Michael Jordan, Tiger Woods of the world, or you're a, a Bill Kruger. <laughs> You know, anything in between, Russell's certainly pushing more the top end of that group. So for him to have some moments where his confidence wanes, it it just happens. And how do you get past it? Mental toughness, more preparation, kind of taking a, you know, a peek at yourself and, and making a, 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 a self-evaluation of what's wrong, but you cannot dwell on what's wrong. You have to be forward thinking, which he's obviously exhibited in spades. So, uh, and I think whenever you're going bad, uh, you get the the person that maybe uh, is a confidant of yours that that you can talk to a little bit about it is always good, and fuse some uh, some positive uh, thoughts into your head. And uh, for me, you know, it was always kind of re reviewing uh, some some tape where I, I did very well and sort of uh, reinforcing good play because I think that's where you need to be less dwelling on bad play and more focusing on good play that sort of sets your mind correct. I mean, he clearly. Uh, just looked off center, didn't look confident. You know, it, it kind of went from I've got to do it all and trying to make, you know, trying to squeeze things out of plays. And he's not quite as elusive. I, I mean, I don't know if that's fair. I mean, he's getting up in age a little bit. He's still tricky and tough to, to, to get down, but maybe not quite as explosive to sort of avoid the rush and make secondary plays. Uh, I'm, I'm not the expert to talk on this. He just didn't look like he could throw on time. And uh, the game kind of asked him to throw on time and some stuff and not scramble. So, I mean, these are things he regroups on. He's the best. I mean, his mental toughness is just off the charts. So uh, he'll rebound. <laughs> he'll rebound really well this week. Michael, is he trying to do too much? This is the, the excuse that's built in. And I'm not sure I buy that. And the reason is this defense has been horrible all season. So when you look at the, the first few games of the season, Russell had to do a lot. But he did do a lot, and his decision-making was better. So I, I'm not sure what's changed uh, over these last four games. I mean, the, the defense is still lousy, although, again, some improvement uh, in certain areas the last couple of weeks. What do you think? I think he is trying hard, but I also think that he's seeing defenses who kind of have figured out how to force him to make these decisions. He's seeing a lot of pressure. And he's not doing a great job of picking it up either. There are times where his guy, everyone's accountable for a guy in a box. And there's always a lone guy because you the, the, the quarterback isn't really a factor when it comes to holding guys accountable. Whoever is getting after the quarterback off the edge is typically the free guy unless the running back is right there. The guy he's been accountable for has been the guy who's really been messing him up. So my, my question is now, is he trying too hard to make the big play because he feels like this defense isn't going to have his back? 
or is he just not seeing it? What we know from Russell Wilson, he's a sharp cat. He's going to study. He's going to look at the defensive fronts. He's going to know what he's seeing. So when I, when I go off of what I know about Russell Wilson and I see the decision making, the decisions that he's making, it makes me believe that he feels like he has to make the big play because the defense is going to give up a bunch of big plays. He'll never say that. He's a good leader, a good captain. He'll never say that. But just seeing how he has kind of put himself in these awkward situations where you have 15 yards in front of you to go pick up a first down, he goes, you know what? <laughs> we might get to the 10-yard line, not be able to punch it in, kick a field goal. I'm just going to take my chances on this deep throw. All right, so you got the Hawks at 6-3, and three, the Rams at 6-3, and three, and the Cardinals – at six and three. And with all that being said about Russell, Michael, would you take Russell right now or would you take Kyler Murray? I'll take Russell right now. Kyler Murray is ridiculous. Over 600 yards rushing. I mean, he, he makes it look easy at times, but is he battle tested? Has he been to the playoffs? Has he really had to win a football game? That last, the hell Murray, what you called it, Great. But that, that, that's going to happen. That's the last time that I have in his career where he closes his eyes and tosses it up and wins a ball game. He's going to have to put there's going to be a time where he's got to go 15 plays down the field methodically and take control of the clock and calm his offense down and change the plays at the line and do all these things the greats have to do. Can he do it? Eventually, I think he'll get there. But because Russell's been there and done that, I got to go with three. OK, would you rather have Russell or Jared Goff? Oh, man, that's not even a question. Right? So that's And that's my point. Even though Russell has been struggling in three of the last four games, when you look at the three teams at six and three in this division, I still give the edge to the team that clearly has the best quarterback, even though that quarterback is slumping. Fair enough? I'm with you. All right. Who wins on Thursday? I still don't know yet. I, I honestly, I, I still, I have to see who's healthy. If, if Carson is back, was it, there's a chance. If he's back, they're going to win the ball game. And if one of the starting corners are back, I feel like they win the ball game. DJ Reed did okay. Trey Flowers did okay. But you need the guys with the big bucks out there healthy. So Carson's back, they win. If someone in the secondary is back, they win. If not, it's a toss-up in my opinion. All right, before I get Bill's prediction, Michael, is, is Pete Carroll, has he seen enough of Russ cooking? Does he, does he, does, do you think Pete wants to ideally, again, if he, if he has the healthy players in place, does he want to get back to the type of football we're used to seeing? Has he seen enough of Russell's cooking? I, think, I don't think he's seen enough. I think he's seen enough of the microwave cooking. You know, the one yeah. or two minutes, the big, you just try to get it done. You need that Thanksgiving cooking. You know, you wake up early and you prepare and you, you take your time with it. That's the type of cooking that Pete is looking for. Uh, some basting of the turkey. Yes, <laughs> I love it. Uh, Bill, who wins on Thursday? Hawks, Cardinals. I got to be a homer and pick the Hawks. I mean, they lose a couple in a row and they're, you know, a regal franchise that's used to winning. Uh, no tolerance for long losing streaks. They figure it out and they win. All right. Hey, let's... Um, Let's talk some Pac-12. Uh, Michael, I thought your Cougs did a nice job hanging with and really giving Oregon a game over the weekend in Pullman, but they fall now 1-1. Uh, one one. Washington State at an 0-2 Stanford this week. Uh, UW finally gets to open its uh, season. Uh, they they kind of uglied it up a bit against Oregon State. I think the Beavers are going to do that to a lot of teams, but uh, they survived. Jimmy Lake gets his first career win. Dylan Morris, we find out, is the starting quarterback. Um, for the Huskies. Well, what any significant takeaways for you, Bump, in regards to, to Washington and Washington State this past weekend as they look forward? 
uh, Washington State, um, that was one of the games where you tell your kids, man, keep your head up, man. You put up a good fight. You look at just the personnel that Oregon has versus what Washington State has. Um, Oregon should win that game. And it was a six-point game until late in the fourth quarter. They put up a good one. James DeLore took care of the football, 321 yards, two touchdowns. McIntosh played well again. This is a development season. No one loses eligibility this year. So I, I tell my cool guys, I'm like, this is just um, a, this is preseason. You get six or seven games to really try to figure out who you are. So I was proud of them. On the UW side, um, I was also proud, again, Dylan Moore's local kid, went to Grand Capalce, and I always root for these local guys. And Washington has done a great job of keeping the talent here. And I'm from California. I don't want to see any of these cats go to USC. I don't want to see them go to Stanford. I don't want to see them go to UCLA. Keep the talent here because there's a big talent pool to pull from. Um, and I loved the offensive um, of scheme. It was more of a pro style. You know, he had some two back sets, some play action. Um, Dylan Morris is a mobile guy, but they didn't really put him out there that much to get hit. He did take a big hit <laughs> down the red zone. But I, I love the progression of that offense. I think UW is going to be okay. Obviously, yeah. them in Oregon are probably the contenders to win the North. They got some depth at running back. That that was on to play uh, on display. Sean McGrew, really a, a nice ball game against the Beavers. All right, let's move on to some uh, baseball and, and a glass ceiling, really broken in pro sports. Kim Ang, named general manager of the Marlins, the first female GM in baseball. How do you think this is being received across uh, MLB? Kim's been out there a long time. She has paid her dues. The Marlins and Derek Jeter give her an opportunity finally. I think what you're hearing is a lot of people across all walks of life applauding this move. But I think what's more powerful is inside the game, they're applauding the move because she's earned her stripes. And uh, she's a proven commodity. She's worked hard. She's worked up the ranks. She's worked around some quality people. She's worked in quality organizations, Yankees, Dodgers. She's been around the the toughest business, the toughest, uh, got to win at all costs situations. Um, and she's, she's really uh, developed a following. And so this is more than just breaking a barrier. This is about someone that's really paid the big dues to get the chance. Now, uh, pressure's on. Uh, being a woman, pressure's on. Being in the Marlins organization where you went to the playoffs and maybe you weren't exposed to and you got a lot of young players and how you're going to infuse what you need to be a consistent winner, pressure, pressure, even though it's Miami, it's pressure. So she's going to face the pressure and uh, hopefully she'll uh, respond well, make solid decisions and uh, just follow the, the course that she's learned through her whole career. Uh, just an impressive and really exciting day across all sports, uh, women, and uh, certainly for baseball. And Michael, I love the inclusion. We're seeing more opportunities. The 49ers have a female assistant coach. We have, I, I think, at least one uh, woman who is an NFL uh, official. Bill, I think the Giants have a, a female first base coach. So uh, we're starting uh, to see some some breakthroughs. And, and uh, I mean, look, it's great. My question is, I just you just wonder, there's Look, there's still a lot of old school in these sports. Yeah. We know that. So barriers still need to be cleared. But I I, I thought uh, Kim's hiring was was a huge moment. And she's ready. This isn't a PR move. And they're not trying right. to fill seats or sell jerseys or anything. No, they felt like they went with the candidate who was the most prepared and ready 
for this um, for this moment. And I, I remind people when I was in college, my classes were like five to one women and men. Women are, are, are more than capable of leading organizations and making decisions, making tough decisions. It's all about how tough are men gonna make it on them. Now she's going to be scrutinized in ways that she probably shouldn't be just because of what you mentioned. There's old school ways of thinking and some people are, are biting their tongues and they're, they're angry that she got this position. So just judge her off of her performance. Don't judge her because she's a woman. Just don't even look at a picture. Just look at the name and her resume and what she brings to the table. And it makes complete sense. I'm happy for her. I hope she does well. But let's not hold her to a different standard than we would hold anybody else in that same position. Perfectly said. Theo Epstein, Bill, stepping down after uh, his nearly a 10-year run with the Cubs uh, as team president. Of course, 2016 World Series title. Uh, for the Cubbies. Two World Series title under Epstein with the Red Sox. Looks like he's not going to do anything in 2021. So after next season, how in demand will Theo Epstein be when these GM or uh, president jobs open up around Major League Baseball? I would think his market would be really, really high. World Championship in Boston was long, long, long waited. I certainly did the same thing in Chicago and kind of rebuilt it from scratch there. Um, clearly his timing is good um, because uh, the transition is on. Uh, that Cubs team is going to fall. Uh, Lester gone, players aging, things changing. You know, he, he, he read the tea leaves. It was time to go. And he had done all he could to be successful there. So that's just wise uh, thinking on his part. He walks out, you know, maybe not right on top, but certainly as, as high as he could be, you know, after, you know, you can't win a World Series every year. So, and Sterling reputation, great, great. Uh, de, went, went and worked in the pressure cooker. We had never won in Boston. Took the Chicago, the 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 the, the starriest losers of all time. I, I grew up a Cub fan. I I know what it feels like to uh, uh, see it slip away in 1969. Have to wait so long to get a championship there. So, uh, and he did it with a regroup, a rebuild, uh, go back to 100 losses, and then build it back up again. So, I think there's just a lot of ways. And he's a forward. He's a he's a a forward thinking person. He's, he's not an old school guy. That's like, I got to see it. You know, he's a, he's a numbers guy. He understands the numbers. He understands the way they think today and, and, and analytics. So uh, geez, I think he's uh, got a year to take a deep breath and figure the market out. Now, Bill, you mentioned all that stuff you mentioned. And what sticks out to me too, is he's 46 years old. He's old enough to appreciate and understand the old ways and he's young enough to really connect with what's coming, what's going on now. Yeah. Um, the guy is a proven winner. He knows what he's doing, and he's got a lot of life ahead of him. And um, I expect whoever grabs this dude, um, he's going to change the game. He's going to change the organization. James Belton deep to right center field, and that will fly away. Junior's 40th home run of the year is a great Ken Griffey Jr. Uh, back in the news as we hear that terrific uh, grand salami call from uh, the legendary Dave Niehaus. But Jr. doesn't resurface in baseball. He is the latest part owner of the Seattle Sounders soccer team, the most successful uh, franchise in Major League Soccer. Uh, Bill, talk about your buddy, Ken Griffey Jr., now an owner but not in baseball. Well, I, I think the, the, the world of being, you know, highly successful and being able to take that success and go to the ownership uh, suite 
for athletes is a dream. And there's been a lot of barriers to entry to get there. Um, a lot of those were just built around the good old boys network and not really letting players in the door. Now they got the cachet, they got the money to do it. Uh, this is a lower entry point with MLS soccer than it would be for some of the bigger sports. Um, so I think that makes it a little easier for him to get in. Uh, he's going to be comfortable uh, with, you know, Russell being there. Um, I think that that creates a world of comfort for him. It's, it's Seattle based. There's some Seattle owners there. There's a little bit of entertainment cachet. Should be fun for his family to to be a, a part of that group. Um, so I, I think for Kenny, um, you know, when you have, you know, when you talk about the money pyramid and you've got room at the top of your pyramid for things that you can sort of do with that don't really affect the uh, the day-to-day -day, uh, uh, building and maintaining and ex executing your life. It's kind of a neat place to be when you can sort of dole out a little bit and go into a, a professional sports ownership position. I also think it's exciting because, uh, and, and Michael, you can speak on this, but just people of color. People of color being in sports where they belong, where they should have influence because of all that they've accomplished. I mean, they in a big term. Kenny's, of course, an incredibly accomplished guy uh, and certainly a dynamic, exciting uh, personality to bring to the table. Uh, he's really funny and really smart, uh, but I think that's another good thing that happened this week. Yeah, you need you need local legends to, to yep. stay local, to stay around, you know, and and just continue the tradition that that they built. My first ever just memory of Seattle sports is Ken Griffey Jr. That's like my first memory of King is Ken Griffey. Their kids growing up now, their first memory is going to be Russell Wilson. Now Russell Wilson is going to be be here for a while now. He's still playing and he owns the team now. Ken Griffey's still here. Need guys like Edgar Martinez to hang around. Bobby Wagner. It just there's something about being in the Northwest that is special that you don't really know about until you live here. And why not have these local legends just continue just to invest in this community, in this region? I think it's awesome. I bet you uh, Ken Griffey can't even kick a soccer ball straight, but <laughs> he sees that, look, I have an opportunity to invest in my community. Why not? You know, Michael, when, when this uh, news broke earlier today, one of my first thoughts was, ah, oh, it's not a, it's apples and oranges, but I, I thought of your Dodgers and I thought about magic and his involvement with that franchise. But I also thought, is there a better owner's suite to get into in North American sports than the owner's suite for the Seattle Sounders, which includes now Ken Griffey Jr., Russell Wilson, Sierra and Macklemore. <laughs> Even though it's soccer, I love soccer, by the way, but you'd never be bored in a zero zero match if you're in that owner's suite, right? That's not too shabby. Not at all. All right, let's talk some uh, baseball Hall of Fame ballot out for this year, Bill. And uh, we got some guys, we got some guys, Billy, who generates some controversy. I know this is going to be interesting, Michael. So uh, the three headliners Kurt Schilling, crazy man, Roger Clemens, Barry Bonds. Uh, we, we know the debate performance-enhancing debate surrounding Clemens and Bonds. So the last season, Clemens got 61% of the vote. Bonds got 60% of the vote. You need 75% to get in. So, Bill, if you were a Hall of Fame voter, how would you vote on Bonds, Clemens, and we'll throw Schilling in as uh, well. Schilling uh, actually did a pretty good job in terms of the vote count last year. He had 70%. Well, I'm a no on Bonds and I'm a no on Clemens. I mean, sadly, these guys uh, could have uh, not made the deal with the devil and made it easy. 
Bonds is a 500 steal, 500 home run player that could play some serious left field. And Clemens had multiple Cy Youngs, and then he made the deal with the Devil before he went to Toronto. So um, I'm sorry, they they bought they, they bought the uh, the excess uh, of riches and statistics, and forego the Hall of Fame with their choice to use performance enhancing drugs. I'm sorry, I'm not letting them in. Kurt Schilling, uh, you know, he's not very tolerable, uh, depending on your political bent, but uh, he is a little wacky, to say the least. And he says some pretty outrageous things that turn people off. And I'm sure that could hurt his vote, but he's right at the cusp. The numbers suggest that he will get in. He was a big game pitcher, won, won championship, took the Phillies to the World Series. And of course, Diamondbacks World Championship, a couple with the Red Sox, 11 and two with a 2 2 3 in the playoffs. He's got 216 wins. That doesn't sound like a lot. Uh, but uh, was great in big games, great in big situations. And I think we're going to have a new bar when you start talking about pitching. It's not 300 wins anymore, that's for sure, or you'll have no pitchers in. Uh, this class that we're looking at right now with Hudson and, and Zito and, uh, and uh, Schilling were 200-win-plus guys. Um, boy, that's a dying breed. At 200 is a dying breed. You got CC Sabathia, of course, uh, Verlander coming, and yeah. then it's like a head-scratcher. Is anybody going to win 100 games? I mean, the way they devalued starting pitching and don't get me started there. We have to, uh, uh, you know, I'll kill the show. So, uh, so again, no on bonds and Clemens, uh, great players, but uh, made the deal with the devil and um, Schilling's in, I, okay. I think he's in, uh, don't, that doesn't mean I have to, I have to maybe put my no. finger down my throat and say yes, but yeah. Oh, I mean, think, think about how many people we'd have to throw out of the hall of fame. I mean, I made my comment just because that's how I feel about the guy. But what he did on the mound is is a separate. Ty issue. Cobb was a, 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 a admitted racist. I mean, just unbelievable, yeah. greatest player of all time. Yeah, Michael, uh, do you vote in Bonds? Do you vote in Clemens? How do you feel about Schilling? Um, one, my memory of Schilling is just the bloody sock, right? I always yep. think about the bloody sock when I think of Schilling. Just how? Where is the bloody gutted, sock? Is the bloody sock gutted. going to the hall? Is it in the hall already? It's, it's probably hanging up in there somewhere. Uh, so I respect him just pushing through that. I mean, I, I, if I remember correctly, it was on his back leg. So he's pushing off of that leg. And I, I respect that. Now, as far as I'm getting in, um, I look back and I'm like, okay, these guys took substances that were banned. The league wasn't testing them for it. Then once they started to test, they asked him to tell the truth. I think that if they would have just came out and just said it, like, look, man, yeah, I did it. I cheated. They weren't testing it and we're just vulnerable and, and transparent about it. I would feel a little different about it. I respect any man who can hit a ball. I don't care if you're taking PEDs and you're big as heck. You still got to line that thing up and hit the ball. Now, what the ball does after that is affected by your physical and just how strong you are and your timing or whatnot. Um, so, no, I don't I don't think they get in. I wouldn't I wouldn't vote them in. I respect their greatness. I still think they're good at some of the best at what they do. There's still other things that they have to do to be successful. You don't just take this performance that has been drug and now you're a superstar. You still got to be good at a whole bunch of stuff. But the fact that you had an edge, you took advantage, you had a chance to come out and be honest about it and you lied about it. And and still, as far as I know, they're just hold on to it that they didn't do it. It's just like. All right, man. Well, you, you had me maybe three or four years after the situation. I might have given you a chance. But at this point, it's like, man, I was a kid when you were doing that. And you're still holding on to the same lie. I just can't really respect a person who maneuvers like that. I think it's a good point, because I, I think in this country, we will 
we will give people second chances and even third chances and sometimes even more than that. But when you're on that national stage and you're asked point blank and, and you lie when you could step forward and really kind of be a man about it and you, they chose not to, uh, yeah, nail in the coffin, I think, on that. All right, fellas, it's time for the Stars of the Week presented by Ecliptic Brewing. Pour some space in your face, ecliptichbrewing.com. My wife was good enough to get two more six packs of a variety, two different nice. options from Ecliptic Brewing. And let me just say, it works. It works, people. Check it out, <laughs> ecliptichbrewing.com. I'll go ahead and lead off this week, guys. And uh, I had a couple choices. Um, I'm going with Dustin Johnson. Wins his first green jacket in the most unusual of circumstances due to COVID, of course, at Augusta National, at the Masters. But the reason I'm giving it, giving it to him is more than the win. It's the emotion he showed after the victory when he literally could barely get words out. He was so emotional about this major, his second major title. Great player, Dustin Johnson, my star of the week. Michael, what do you got? Well, I was going to go Dustin, but something told me one of you guys were going to pick him. Because I feel like we all we all enjoy. <laughs> See, that's all. that's the so. game planner that Michael is. <laughs> so X is an O's guy, always ready, <laughs> always ready for the unpredictable, or in this case, the predictable. Yeah, well, so I, I have a backup, but I do appreciate Dustin Johnson's emotion, and that that's beautiful to me for a yeah. grown man to be vulnerable like yep. that, especially when we're expected to act certain ways. I love it. Um, I gotta go with the guy who struggled. I'm going with Tiger Woods. I'm gonna tell you why Tiger Woods is. He shot a ten on hole number 12, par three. I shoot a 10 on par threes. Tiger Woods doesn't shoot a 10 on par threes. And I think a lot of guys would have just crumbled and would have shot maybe a 10 plus over after that. What did he do? Five consecutive birdies. He says, I'm still a champion. I'm still one of the best players in the world. I have a mental toughness that no one has ever seen before. That was just as impressive, not as impressive as Dustin Johnson, but a close second to me because I feel like we've all been on that golf course and we've never played for a prize like the Masters. And you have one hole. I'm calling the cart girl over every other hole now. Like, all right, I'm here just to have fun now. I'm not even worried about this game anymore. So he he sucked it up, man, and finished strong. So I'm going to give mine to Tiger Woods. You know, that that is such a great point because you know after he did that, he was probably thinking – that was the worst score on a par three he's ever had. Yeah. And you know, he's got to be thinking, holy, did I, did I actually just do that at Augusta national? <laughs> I mean, it's not like he did it in like the Firestone snow tire championship. <laughs> right. Yep. I mean, he did it at the masters and yet Michael great points uh, that you make how he showed the champion that he is by rallying down the stretch. So. Awesome. And then he had to put that green jacket as the defending champion on Dustin Johnson. Bill, your star of the week is. I was thinking fast on my feet here because I have Dustin Johnson and I'm not That's okay. fast on my feet. I'm too old, I guess, but uh, maybe I can put a little more spin on it. But uh, here's a guy that, you know, had a legacy that he was staring down uh, that could have been, you know, Greg Norman, Tom Weisskopf, if you want to go back far enough, uh, big guys with great swings that overpowered the golf courses with, everything at everything, but never won. And uh, Dustin Johnson, uh, you know, you remember the, the, the follow-ups, the three putt at Chambers Bay, the 82 at the open, uh, the grounding of the club. Uh, uh, you know, there are a number of instances where he just 
for whatever you want to call it, failed in a big moment. And here's a guy that basically broke the 54-hole record and then just wiped out the record over uh, uh, the four rounds at 20 under par. And uh, you look at his game and it's, it's just, it's, it's easy. It's long and easy, but you know, he's far more than that. He had showed a tremendous touch around the greens. Uh, you know, he's a complete golfer. Um, and I think when you have that much talent and the expectation is so high that it's just so, it's almost a relief that a guy is that good that he's able to, to realize his talent. And I'm happy for him because regret is a, is a tough one to, to deal with when it's all said and done. I wonder if how many conversations he has maybe had about being a great athlete with expectations with his father-in-law, yeah. who is a guy who <laughs> goes think. by the moniker, the great one, Wayne Gretzky. I mean, that's got to be fascinating. And of course, for, for Gretzky, how great to go play casual golf, I, I would imagine on occasion with a guy who's maybe the best on the planet. And your son-in-law, Dustin Johnson. Great stuff, guys. Those are your stars of the week presented by Ecliptic Brewing. It's out of this world beer. For more on their great line of beverages, go to ecliptichbrewing.com. Time to talk some hoops. Beautiful pass. McDaniels to the bucket. Oh, oh. oh. The lob for Isaiah Stewart. Foul and one. Some highlights from a pair of Huskies for a year. Isaiah Stewart, Jaden McDaniels, both deciding to leave Amont Lake early and make their way to the NBA. And Wednesday evening, they'll find out where their next step will take them as professionals. The NBA draft in this COVID calendar are taking place uh, in November. And to tell us a little bit about those two dogs and a couple of other players with local ties, Root Sports College basketball analyst, former uh, scout for Charlotte in the NBA, Francis Williams. Well, we all have to make these adjustments in terms of uh, an NBA draft that's going to take place a little over a month away from the start of the next NBA season, Francis. So that is a pretty unique stuff. But let's talk about those two dogs right out of the gate. Isaiah Stewart, tell us about uh, him. The body is ready for the next level. We we know that. Um, What about the skill set? Well, I think he uh, is probably already is who he's going to be in terms of his NBA career. He's going to be an energy and effort guy that rebounds and defends, runs the floor, uh, dependable free throw shooter, and uh, come off the bench and and play his role. Uh, He could play in the NBA for a long time if he just accepts that role, which I think he will. Uh, He's a little undersized, but uh, he has very long arms. He has huge hands. He has great timing. He has good instincts. And of course, the energy and effort, which I already mentioned, are a skill that he possesses at the highest level. Uh, I don't know for certain that he'll go in the first round. Uh, I compare him to uh, Montrez Harrell at, uh, uh, with the Clippers. Not quite as big as Montrez, but he's that type of player, that type of skill set. And I think actually a better free throw shooter than Montrez. But uh, I think that's the type of player that he will be in the NBA. McDaniel's out of a federal way. So we, we've known about him for a, a long time. Very skilled player, maybe a little thin, hit the weight room a little bit more, but um, inconsistent in his lone season with Washington. So what are the things you like about him? And what are the areas of concern as he gets ready to head to the NBA? I don't have any concerns about him physically. Uh, with him, he's got the skill set and he's blessed with size. He's a bit thin, but there's a lot of guys in the NBA like him now. Uh, it's all about what's going on in between his ears. He obviously had some issues with uh, 
you know, whatever it was that uh, is absolutely going to have to be addressed. And uh, so between March and now, he's had a lot of time and opportunity for people in his uh, in his uh, court to to work with him on being more consistent and having a little different uh, mentality when he's on the floor. So someone's going to take him the first round just because they're going to be enamored with with his talent and, and his skill set and what he brings to the table. But it's all going to be about how effective he is. It's going to be about what's going on in between his ears. Seems like every year Mark Few's sending at least uh, one player from his Gonzaga program uh, into the association this year. It's likely to be uh, Killian Tilly and a, and a guy that unfortunately we just didn't get to see him, I, I don't think, fully develop and maximize his ability on a consistent basis simply because of injury issues. Mm-hmm. And, and that's uh, really the main concern with him. He's a good size, he's a good athlete, he's proven that he can shoot the ball. And when he's healthy, he's a very effective player that looks to be an NBA player. But with him, it's all about you got to be available. So being available means that you're healthy. So as long as he can stay healthy and get the opportunity to show what he can do, I think he'll be fine. But uh, he has shown a propensity to, to break down, and uh, that's going to be the key with him. But is he a good enough player? Yes. All right, last guy I want to ask you about, uh, a, a guy that I think during his prep career was really wasn't one who was talked about as a, as a potential NBA player, Bellarmine Prep in Tacoma, Malachi Flynn, a couple of years with the Cougars, ends up going down to play for the Aztecs at, at San Diego State at 6-1. Uh, point guard has some really nice numbers in a really good program, um, and a guy that's uh, being talked about as a potential uh, draft choice. Um, tell us a little bit about him. Yeah, well, you know, really pulling for Malachi, number one. Uh, when he was in high school, he was small. And even now at 6'1", he's not considered, he's still considered to be small. But he did have a growth spurt that got him from like 5'9", 5'10", to 6'1", 6'2", which has helped immensely. The transfer to San Diego State, solid program. Uh, his game has blossomed. Uh, but he is a self-made type kid, in my opinion. I mean, he's not a kid that when he was coming through high school and here locally, we all keep tabs on the guys and we know who the next ones are. Uh, you know, he wasn't on that list, similarly to Matisse Eibel last year. Matisse wasn't a guy that coming out of high school, you go, oh, yeah, he's going to be a pro. Matisse, I mean, I'm sorry, uh, uh, Malachi has put himself in a position to uh, be an NBA player. And I know that once he gets there, he's going to continue to put in the work, put in the time. And I think he will ultimately be a serviceable uh, backup in the NBA. He's got a high IQ, nice feel for the game. He's studious. And he's going to work hard. He won't take anything for granted. So, like I said, I'm really pulling for him. End of the first round, early second. They'll call his name. All right, I, I lied because I want to fill out a, a full starting five. So, C.J. Ellaby over at Washington State had a really uh, nice season last season. Kind of a breakout for him. What are his prospects? He's got a skill. He can shoot the ball. And there's always a place for a shooter. Uh, now he's not a big-time athlete, but he knows how to play. I mean, it's in his blood. His dad was a uh, you know, one of the best players ever played at Garfield and played at Cal, played in the pack, I don't know if it's eight or ten back then, but, uh, you know, it's in his blood. Carl Irvin in Seattle U is his, uh, is his uncle, and so he's got basketball in his blood. So I, I think that uh, in the right situation, team looking for shooters, got a little bit of advantage being a lefty. Uh, I think there's a spot for him, but he's going to have to work really hard. He'll spend some time in the G League, and he'll be up and down, but I think he can ultimately make his way onto a an NBA roster full time, but it probably won't happen for him right away. But I, I think he's he's definitely got a chance to 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 play in the NBA. Well, who knows? Big dreams uh, for those five players. Maybe one day, Francis, 
they'll reach a point where they can say no to $50 million a year. Man, all James was, uh, Harden. How about that? Hey, well, <laughs> he, he knows something that I don't, but, uh, you know, there's so much money being thrown around that uh, you never know. But obviously, he wants to get out of Houston. Yeah. I think that's the, the bigger topic. So, uh, you know, we'll see what happens. $50 million a year. Good for the beard. Yeah. All right. Hey, Francis, always appreciate the insight. Francis Williams, college basketball analyst, Root Sports Northwest, former NBA scout, always dropping his hoops knowledge. We just try to sweep it up every now and then. Thanks, buddy. Thank you. All right. Again, our thanks to uh, Francis Williams with that uh, preview of the NBA draft. And uh, guys, uh, before I let you go, NBA related, what kind of stud do you have to be? How confident do you have to be in your game to say no? to a two-year, $103 million contract, as Francis I touched on, James Harden saying no to over $50 million a year for the next two years of the Rockets. He clearly wants to head to Brooklyn so he can play with Kevin Durant, Michael, and Kyrie Irving. That'll be fun to see those three guys together if they end up getting together. Yeah, well, you have to be a stud to turn that down. You also have to not believe in the organization who's offering you that money. Uh, Money's not an issue for James Harden. He'll be fine for the rest of his life. At this point, he wants to win championships, and he's looking at the Rockets like, I can't win a championship here. Word on the street is Russell Westbrook is on his way out. Um, So you're going to go back east. And the East used to be the easy conference uh, a few years back, but it, it's tough now, man. You got the Heat, you got the Bucks, the Sixers, the Boston Celtics are, are doing their thing. Um, but he has a chance to team up with Kevin Durant and Ky- um, Kyrie Irving. That's what these young guys are doing. Something tells me, man, these uh, these legends like Bird and Magic and if Kobe, if he was here, are looking at these guys like, what are you doing? You don't team up with the best guys in the league, but yeah, new generation, the game is changing. There's a lot of money to be made. He'll still, he'll still pull in about 35, 40, 40 million a year in, uh, in New York. So it's, it's not a big, I guess a huge pay cut when you, when you look at it to us, that's a huge pay cut. Cause I don't think either of us are making that much money in a year, but he's chasing the ring. He wants to go yeah. play with his buddies. I don't, I wouldn't do it, but I understand why he would leave the Rockets organization. Yeah. It's just another one of those financial markers, you know, how, how many years ago would we have said, Oh, no one's ever going to get 50 million in a season. Now we have somebody who's turned down 50 million uh, in a season. So the, the end is um, well, it's nowhere in sight. Baseball salaries bill, as you know, they're just going to continue to go up. Um, Michael, I guess it's the NFL that really has the, the, you know, and I'm all for the worker bees, man. I'm for the athletes over the owners getting the cash, but uh, they at least have their their cap issues. Um, but NBA, MLB, sky's the limit, Bill. So true, and uh, but it's a very select few. Uh, it doesn't it doesn't mean it's for everyone. Uh, basketball's already pretty elite, and then you break it down into the guys that are really getting that money. Um, it's it's a pretty you know unique handful of guys that are special that really, really get paid. Now, the NBA, they all get paid. There's no question. And uh, football deserves a better shake. Uh, and it's tough because the, the careers just aren't as long. And so how do you fight City Hall when you can't really step away and fight them? Because you can't step away from the game. You just don't have m- enough time to fight them, even if you could get organized, right? Because that game sort of needs a facelift. The players need more uh, cut of what's going on. Um, Harden, Wow. I mean, he's played, he's deferred before, you know, he's played, he played at Oklahoma city deferred. He's a different player. Now. Um, I see a lot of balls bouncing between Kyrie Irving and James Harden. That's a lot of bounces. 
I mean, of course, you know, I'm an old school guy. I'm from passing game land with no shot cock and no three-point line. So uh, the number of bounces that Harden makes in a game probably covers my whole career in college on the number of times I've bounced in basketball. So, uh, you know, I'm digging there a little bit. But I, I think Durant and him will be fine. I just don't know how Kyrie Irving and him play together. Kyrie's got to have the basketball. It's the same problem. It's like going to take turns. It's an odd and evens, like gash rationing. How are you going to do it, right? Um, they'll figure it out yeah. if it comes to be. But it, it ain't going to be easy to figure it out. It almost looks like to me it could be three comp- two, two's company, three's a crowd. Maybe you get there and you kind of play with it and you go, well, Kyrie, you know, you're kind of, you know, the odd man out here. I'll tell you what I think works, though, or, or what will help the process along, Bill, is the fact yeah. that Kevin Durant went and joined that Golden State team yeah. with Curry and with Clay already in place, and they figured it out. And I think Kevin Durant is the type of player that's going to make it easier for Harden, who he's already played with back in OKC and, and Kyrie. That they, they're going to, they're, I'm not saying they're going to win the title, but I think in terms of ball distribution, Michael, I think they'll figure it out. I think they will. And isn't Steve Nash the head coach over there now? That's going to be another really intriguing element, right? That, that, that's just going to be a fascinating team to, to watch. No doubt. <laughs> so a, lot of, a lot of stuff going over there, but yeah, a lot of moving parts. someone's gone after year one. I'm going to say that right now. Someone's gone. There you go. There you hear it from bump. I think he's on to something. Michael, Bill, we always appreciate a good stuff Thursday. If you're, if you're listening to your radio, you better go check out bump on the pre and post game show with the Seahawks. And the Cardinals, a, a huge NFC West uh, showdown with both teams, six and three. Michael Bumpus, Bill Kruger, guys, we'll do it again next week on the pod. Thanks so much. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Thanks, Tom. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. Mm-hmm.